This is an ABC podcast. It probably started around mid-2017. I was working at PwC in audit as a grad, and while I really liked my job, I felt as though I probably wanted a little bit more of a creative challenge and I liked the idea of being able to work on something on the side of my job that I was really passionate and excited about and could kind of direct my efforts into. And I think at the time there was no real long-term thought process around making it into a full-time job. I thought, oh, maybe it'll give me a little bit of extra pocket money on the side. My brother, Elliot, he's a couple of years younger than me and he was always really into video games, much to the <laughs> disappointment of my parents, I think. But when he was in university, he started to upload videos of him playing video games onto YouTube. And he developed quite an audience of people that wanted to see him play these games and he was doing it in a funny way or he was doing it with particular challenges. And more and more of these people would be coming back wanting to watch him. And through the ad system on YouTube, he was able to earn money through doing this. And within a year or so, he was studying commerce law and he was earning more at uni than he would getting a grad role out of university. He sort of brought me into the swing of things and was like, hey, I've got a whole group of these friends that are doing this. And while they're super creative, they're not super commercial. We need a lot of help you know, trying to make this into more of a business with a bit more structure. So we started what we call like our talent management agency, Click. Um, and we work with young digital gaming talent. So young creators that are making video gaming content on Twitch or YouTube or other social media platforms. And we represent them. So we work with a lot of brands to help them access their audiences. We work on a lot of sort of what you would call influencer marketing deals now. And that's basically how we started. We had a tiny roster of five people. We hired one person to help us out with it because we were still working our full-time jobs, me and my two other business partners at the time. And um, yeah, and then about six months in, we sort of realized that the whole thing was getting a little bit bigger than we anticipated it would. So I was able to take three months off work to work on it full-time and then never really looked back. I suppose I've always been crafting and wanting to turn a craft into a business. Um, and I'd put a couple of things out into the world and um, nothing came back to me. Um, <laughs> and I really got into making pots, so um, making moulds and pouring resin into the moulds to make the pots. At the time, plants had just become super popular, indoor plants, and I realised that there was a real market for it. And so I launched it in 2015. I was making the pots in my granny flat out the back and ended up with a whole heap of wholesalers as well as direct customers and just couldn't keep up with orders. And within six months, I was having to outsource production. That's Capra Designs Director Bianca Lambert and co-founder and director of Click Management, Grace Watkins. And today, it's all about turning hobbies into careers. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong and you're listening to This Working Life. 
Dan Shawbell is a New York Times bestselling author, workplace researcher, founder of Workplace Intelligence and an all-round career expert. Dan, what does your research reveal about the types of people turning hobbies into careers? Oh, it's all sorts of people. It's actually, it was more uh, rare, you know, many, many years ago, but with all this technology and social media platforms and, you know, cryptocurrency, NFTs, eventually metaverses, we've been able to create all of these new opportunities where people can build their careers, not even having to go to an office straight from their home. So I think that the opportunities now are so much greater. Back in the day when I was uh, trying to figure out if it was even possible to follow your passion, which I, I heard uh, many, many times when I was a, a kid, I didn't think it was possible. You know, I'm in the United States. The economy here is really, re- really rebounded from last year. So just the sheer opportunity and demand is, is so great. But at the same time, you need to be able to develop your skills and evolve and kind of get out of mm. your comfort zone because the jobs that exist right now might not appear the same or be relevant in the future. And so that's why I always harp on, hey, you know, even if you might be afraid of what crypto or NFTs are. Can you explain what an NFT is for those who might not have heard of it? Yeah, it's a non-fungible token. So it's something that is a one of one, right? In a sense where, you know, it's like a swap card. Yeah. It's one of one, you know, it's a label that's almost like you buy a collectible comic and this is a serial number on it and it's like 0012 and there's not another 0012. So it is unique to that person on the blockchain to verify it. So it's all public information. That's what an NFT is. So I think about, you know, an example being VV. VV is, you know, a mainstream NFT platform and you can buy comics and collectibles on it. And what's special about this platform is eventually you're going to be able to rent those collectibles and comics and artwork, all sorts of things to people to create a source of income and then eventually buy land. And you can do this now on Earth2 and in various other platforms where you can buy land and actually you know, rent out space in that land and make more income. So these are things that are actually new that I, we wouldn't be able to even talk about this even several months ago. So are they mainly then young entrepreneurs or workforce retirees who are really turning their hobbies into careers? It's everyone. You know, I don't think it matters how old you are, what generation you're in, what your life circumstances are. I think that people want dignity. They, they, they want to be able to do work. We did a survey that was global and we asked, you know, if pay was consistent. So regardless of how much you were making, you know, how many days a week would you work? And only 2% said zero. People want to work but they don't want to work in a toxic environment with a manager that, you know, criticizes them and and doesn't treat them like a human being in a work environment that, you know, they don't feel comfortable in. They want to be passionate. They want to be, have some sort of purpose for what they're doing. And I think that people are searching for that. And through that research, they come across you know, passions or, or they already had a hobby and they figure out how to turn that into a business or even a side gig. So I think that we do we, this trend of like the side hustle and then the, you know, um, being able to build a business from scratch on the internet is here to stay. Who would have ever thought that today that people would be 
getting paid millions of dollars to play video games and live stream that in front of an audience <laughs> online. And now tell me about the word passion. So people react sometimes to the word passion. So how important is this in turning a hobby into a career? Passion is the driver. You know, I, I love what Mark Cuban says. He's like, you know, don't follow your passion, follow your energy, but your passion is the energy. Meaning like, if I'm really passionate about something, I'll study it for 10,000 hours and become really good at it. If I'm not, I'm not going to put the 10,000 hours in to master it. And if you don't know as much as your competitors, you won't be as successful. What if I don't know what my passion is? So my best career advice for me, it's do as much as you can as early in life as possible. So I believe in experimentation and reflection. So for me, it was eight internships between uh, high school and college. It was my first small business in college. It was you know three different jobs at a big company when I graduated. It was all these different experiences and you learn more about yourself. I, I want to work for a big company, a small company. These are the types of personalities that I get along with. You start to uncover who you are, who you work best with, where you want to work. And through that, that pushes you in the right direction. Again, it doesn't have to be a full-time job. It could be your own business or freelancing or any of these other careers that have been created through the internet as well. It's But little by little, what, do you, what can you do every single day to help get you into the right direction? if you don't know what that direction is. And then what are some of the dangers or pitfalls to watch out for? Not every passion leads to income that can support you. So sometimes mm. it's like acting. You know, if you've been acting and you haven't broken in for, you know, a certain amount of <laughs> seven to 10 years, you might want to at least consider another career or another way to make money. And, you know, it sounds funny, but the reality is a lot of people have this big dream. You know, they see themselves on the big screen and it's, you know, if everyone could do that, you know, you just can't everywhere. There's not enough movies to be able to do that. Right. So if you want to be in a blockbuster, there's a, a very slim chance you could do that. If you want to make it in a band and tour around the world, extremely slim chance. It's not that it's not possible, but I think at some level you have to be realistic. Sometimes things are better left as a hobby than a career. And that's perfectly acceptable. How do you know when to stop trying? Yeah. I, you know, I think it's self-reflection. I think at some point you're like, okay, let me reflect on the past seven years. You know, I've had some gigs, I've done a lot of auditions, but this hasn't really worked. And I have practiced my craft, but maybe this isn't for me full time. Maybe, you know, I become a script writer. So it's not like you have to get out of the industry completely. There could be other aspects of that industry that are interesting. It's like, you know, if you're doing Broadway, maybe you you can't be on Broadway, but maybe you can be the person who's handling the sound in the back of the room. Now, Dan, you talk about not falling into the passion trap. Can you go deeper into that for us, please? Well, passion is very seductive. Right. And I think that one of the things I learned when I was in my 20s was I was so passionate that it, it kind of blinded me to things. And mm -hmm. I think that it also can consume you. So this is one of the things that doesn't get talked about, which is so important, is it becomes such an addiction that you start to not prioritize things that are actually really important. Right. You start to spend all of your time. Like for me, it was my full time job, nights and weekends, writing, you know, 10 to 12 blog posts, starting my own magazine. Like it, it was all consuming. But I knew that it, that's what it took. But again, because you're so passionate about it, you just want to constantly do it. 
And so I think you have to watch out for that and really set realistic goals and, and understand what really matters and how to prioritize. And again, this is me reflecting on my 20s during it. I, I don't really regret it in a sense because all of that effort accumulated into enabling me to be where I am today. So there's different ways to look at things, but it's, it is something to be conscious about when you're going through this journey of figuring out what your passion is or thinking about a hobby and if you could turn into a career or not. Are there basic rules to follow or any other advice you'd give? Absolutely. I think look at other people who have the career that you're interested in, right? Shadow them, ask them questions, you know, uncover what they're going through. When I was trying to pursue my passion of, you know, being an author, that was, that's one of my passions. You know, I emailed every single bestselling author until someone would respond to me and at least give me some sense of how to do a book proposal and how to go about that process because I didn't know. And if you could Google it, but people who have really lived and breathed that whole process are going to know. And it's almost like taking a big shortcut instead of spending six months trying to figure something out. You have a few phone calls with people who have already made it in that field that is interesting to you. And that cuts down the learning curve for you. So I think that, you know, people can really help you skip steps and, and, and get ahead quicker because it's not just that they give you that important, critical information, but they also can help connect you in a sense for, for book publishing to an agent or to other people that can help move you along quicker. I'm Lisa Leong. You're listening to This Working Life, and we're exploring how to turn hobbies into careers. Coming back to you, Grace, now you did suffer a bit of passion burnout. What brought that on? Yeah, I think it was really interesting because obviously when we started, it was completely fueled by passion, and I was so excited, and it just felt genuinely so fun to work on what we were doing that it was just easy to do it all the time. And we also at the time really had no responsibilities. We hadn't taken on any external investment. We didn't have employees. We didn't have rent. And so everything was just a net gain. And then over time, as the business grew and suddenly we had 15 employees and we had a huge rent bill each month and a lot more weight that felt like it was on my shoulders, I suddenly sort of felt very unprepared and overwhelmed and like I wasn't qualified to be there. And I did suffer a bit of burnout and it took me a while to sort of come back from that. But yeah, it definitely happened. How did you even know that you were feeling burnt out? I think it was when I started to feel as though small tasks were really difficult and I wasn't getting up and feeling as happy and excited to go to work every day as I was and just sort of an overwhelming feeling of responsibility and fear that I was going to do the wrong thing. And in terms of people management, what is a lesson that you've learned in terms of that and your business? I think hiring slow is really important. I think when you start to grow a business and hire people, it can feel a little bit stressful and like you need to make decisions quickly. And I think thinking ahead, trying to plan ahead as much as you can, really thinking through, are you hiring the right person? Have they got the right experience? Are they someone that's going to reduce your workload or potentially add to your workload? 
uh, is really important. And we probably made a few mistakes in the early days of hiring people that were quite junior. And it was probably because, you know, I was really young myself. I was only 26. And hiring people when you're a small business, obviously you don't have huge amounts of money. So you don't want to be spending massive amounts on salaries for roles that you feel like, you know, young people can do. But I think it's definitely a sort of area that you should take pause around and think about hiring someone senior that's then going to be able to help you structure a better team could be a better decision. And tell me, Grace, how did you address the burnout? What did you do to overcome it? Um, I probably didn't. <laughs> In hindsight, I probably would deal with it differently and take a little bit more of a break. I, I did try to kind of push through. I reduced what I was doing a lot. I wasn't working as many long hours. I really made the effort to take weekends and I opened up to, you know, my business partners and the people around me that I was feeling that way. And they were super, super supportive. And then I really, you know, coming back from it, just tried to remember that even when it can feel like a lot of responsibility, nothing's that serious. No one's going to die in my line of work. And to try and bring back that sense of fun and look for the moments where you're enjoying yourself. And we spend so much time working. And if you have the ability to enjoy it and have fun, that's such a privilege. And so um, you don't want to take it, don't want to take it for granted. What advice would you then give to someone about turning their hobby into a profession? Hmm. I think advice I would give would be to test it first. Don't feel like you have to jump in the deep end all at once. I think I'm really glad that while it did feel at one point like it was sort of a big leap, it actually wasn't. Um, We tested it over a longer period of time. We didn't take on too much debt too soon. We did it while we all had other jobs, so we weren't financially reliant on it, which reduced a lot of stress. And then when we did sort of put both legs in, we really knew that it was going to be successful. We were confident that we had a great service that we were offering and it didn't feel yeah, too much like we were taking a huge risk without any kind of knowledge or testing ground as to whether we knew it would pay off. Bianca, what was the biggest problem or surprise for you when you were starting out? It was probably freighting. I just hadn't thought through the fact that I had to get these products to people. And we'd created this very big plant stand called a crescent stand, which people still ask for today, but we had to discontinue. It was quite tall and fragile and we hadn't thought about how much it would cost to actually send to people. So, yeah, we did end up designing a knockdown version, um, but even getting that manufactured, it it wasn't something other people could manufacture. It was truly a hobby craft type of item. Um, I suppose, like Dan said, not everything translates into a business idea. Some things are just a hobby item. But yeah, that was probably a little fail for us. And freight is an ongoing battle even today. So what have you learned from that? I suppose we've learned to design products that can be sent. I mean, all even our planters are quite fragile. So making sure that we're packaging them really well, thinking out the entire process, not just the beautiful creating point. 
I suppose that's the difference between a hobby and a business. It's not just creating the fun thing, it's actually thinking through every single process. And what other advice would you give someone thinking about turning their hobby into a career? I definitely agree with Grace. Don't give up your day job straight away. (laughs) Um, You really need to just test it in the market, see how it goes. I think the other thing with the craft industry, with the very hands-on type of things, it's working out whether it is actually a product that people can purchase for the price that it's worth. So if you're spending hundreds of hours making a scarf, no one can buy it at the price it's worth. No one's going to buy like a $3,000 scarf because you spent 100 hours on it. Um, So yeah, making sure your product is valued correctly and not undercutting yourself. Turning hobbies into careers, that's the discussion topic today. I'm Lisa Leong and you're listening to This Working Life. So Dan, what are you picking up listening to Grace and Bianca? The biggest thing and something that I always commend my parents for is when I was working a full-time job for three and a half years, for most of that time, once I figured out what my passion was and I was building my blog and a magazine and everything outside of work, my parents said, don't quit your day job. Meaning like, don't just rush out of this and try and do it on your own. Take your time, make sure you're ready, make sure you can project a certain amount of money for at least a year. And that's some of the best advice that I ever got. And ironically, what happened was when I quit after three and a half years, my employer became a client of mine. So all of that time waiting and and adding value and being able to make enough money and seeing what the demand was for my services outside of work, that all paid off. So I definitely agree with what everyone has said along these lines because I lived it and it was the advice that I got from you know, parents who also lived it. Grace, do you have any builds on that? Yeah, I think also taking your time with it will arm you with a little bit more confidence as well. And it's much easier to learn, I think, in or, or it's a little bit more of a relaxed environment to learn when it's low stakes and when you're not feeling like every decision you make is going to have massive consequential impacts. So I think that's a valid point as well. And Dan, do you have any advice for either Grace or Bianca listening to their stories? Uh, my advice is, is kind of the same for everyone here. It's, you know, don't stop learning constantly challenge yourself, put yourself out of your comfort zone, try new technologies. I started off focused on personal branding, then pivoted into generations at work and then pivoted to workplace trends and then pivoted to remote and hybrid work. And so I think that part of what it takes to build a business is to be willing to evolve. And if anyone has learned anything from the past two years during the pandemic, it's you have to be able to adapt to change, you know? And and I think Mm -hmm. that if you don't, other people will and change will, ha- you know, you want to make the change instead of waiting for it to happen for you. And so it does take time to learn and develop and to test new things. And there's some risk, but the reward far outweighs the risk if you're able to learn something that leads to the next big idea. I totally agree. And I mean, the whole pivoting thing in the middle of 
the pandemic has definitely been true. I mean, for us, a lot of our wholesalers have kind of dropped off. So we've had to really try and focus on our direct to customer types of sales. So it's really important just to be able to keep pivoting and without that and the, I suppose, willingness to fail, you just can't succeed. That's Bianca Lambert. We're also joined by Grace Watkins and Dan Shawbell. You've been listening to This Working Life and until next week, keep working. listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.